Okay, so if you pop your Bibles back open to Genesis uh, 21, that would be great. Then you can follow along and just check that what I'm saying is, is there in God's Word. As we begin, I, I want you to imagine this fairly unlikely scenario. I want you to imagine that in the coming week, there's some breaking news an announced that in a British laboratory, uh, there's been discovered a cure for coronavirus. Not just a vaccine, uh, but a cure. And the cure is found to be 100% safe and 100% effective. Uh, and within a month, uh, the British laboratory has released the details of the drug uh, to the pharmaceutical companies across the world and mass production has begun. By December, the drug is easily and cheaply available. Uh, and by Christmas day, there's lots of hugs handshakes, Christmas dinner, and even Christmas carols. What do you think the response would be to that scenario? I think there'd be uh, lots of celebrations, wouldn't there? There'd be knighthoods, I think, for those leading British scientists. Uh, the collective efforts and initiative of humanity would be praised, perhaps even worshipped. Uh, and with the cure being discovered, particularly in a British laboratory, I'm sure the British press would make uh, much of that, of how Britain was a, a world leader in great scientific endeavor. And we'd hear again, wouldn't we, about the great triumph and achievements of the human race. Over the last uh, couple of months, we've been looking at this uh, story of Abraham. Uh, the story of Abraham uh, isn't about the triumphs and achievements and the power of humanity. The story of Abraham is about the achievements and the power and the promises of God. And these promises that God makes to Abraham, these promises of blessings, promises of offspring, they're, they're, they're promises that are something far greater than a cure for coronavirus. The promises that God makes to Abraham are the seeds of a new world. They mean life in place of death. They mean blessings in place of the curse. And as we've uh, looked at these promises to Abraham, we've seen that central to these promises is the promise of this child that we've been waiting for, the child that's going to be caused, called Isaac. Remember, Abraham has said, Lord, what will you give me? There's no one to inherit the blessings. I have no heir. And God has promised someone who's going to inherit these blessings. Well, when we turn to chapter 1, uh, chapter 21, we see that the, the promised child has, has finally arrived. And the first thing that we see in chapter 21 is that the child of promise brings joyous laughter. The child of promise brings joyous laughter. As we read these opening verses, there's something we're not meant to miss. And that's that this promised child has arrived because of the action and the initiative of God. The action and the initiative of God. So look at verse 1. The Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And then he goes on to say, the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. This child is the, the generous and gracious gift of God. This child who in, will inherit the blessings promised to Abraham 
has been born, not because of the scheming of Abraham or his plans, but simply because of God's promise. And in case we missed it, it's there again in verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. This child has come exactly when God said it would, when, when Abraham was 100 years old. Can you imagine that? 100 years old. No longer when Abimelech uh, greets Abraham after the birth of Isaac, he says, we know that clearly God is with you. There's something different about his neighbors. Uh, imagine if your neighbor one week celebrated their platinum wedding and the next week celebrated the birth of their first child. Platinum wedding is 70 years. Uh, can you imagine that? That's what's going on here for Sarah and Abraham. And it's as though uh, the writer has put the, the kind of capital letters on. He's got his highlighter out and he doesn't want us to miss. This child is the promised child. This child is come because of the initiative and the power of God. And so yet again here, uh, we see in the Abraham story, this big, this big lesson that God has been teaching us, that he always keeps his promises. God always does what he says he will do. He might not do what we want him to do. He might not do what we think he should do, but we can trust him that he will always do what he has said he will do. God always keeps his promises. How do, how do Abraham and Sarah respond to the arrival of the promised child? Well, their response is, first of all, one of obedient faith, and then it's a, a, the response of joy. You may remember uh, a few chapters back, and God had made clear to Abraham that he is the one that is going to bring about these promises. Back in chapter 17, he said, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. Uh, and then he told Abraham what his part was. And Abraham's part was simply to show uh, trust. And he was going to show this trust through his obedience. So you remember, he was to, there was to be uh, circumcision. All the males in his household were to be circumcised. And following the birth of Isaac here, we see that Abraham responds in obedient faith. Abraham's not patting himself on the back because what a great job he's done having a child when he's 100 He's not going to let any articles in the local newspapers be written about his amazing fertility. He just does what God uh, told him to do. He responds in obedient faith. Verse 3, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. That's obedient faith. And alongside that obedient faith, there's then joyous laughter. You may remember that Isaac's name just means laughter. Uh, and, and Sarah, we've seen, and Abraham have both laughed already. They laughed at the idea that they would have a child. They found it in incredible, literally hard to believe. And they laughed. But now Sarah is laughing, uh, not because she doesn't believe, but because she has a, has a child. It's a different kind of laughter. No longer an incredulous laughter, but a joyous laughter. It's the... You wouldn't believe it kind of laughter, but you better believe it because it's happened. And so she says, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And as Sarah laughs, she expects that everyone who hears about Isaac will also laugh. So when her neighbors 
uh, come to visit. They hear the baby crying in the tent and they come around to see what's going on. Sarah expects them to join in with her joyous laughter. The child of promise brings joyous laughter. And as we uh, look at this joyous scene, especially as people begin to talk about Christmas, as I've done already this morning, uh, it's hard not to think about another miraculous birth, isn't it? As we've gone through this uh, series in Abraham, I've been trying to help us see that these grand and gracious promises lead us all the way to, to the Lord Jesus. If the, the promises that God made to Abraham of offspring and blessing were a train, and they're chugging along through the Old Testament, the final stop, the last station the train is going to stop at, is a station called the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we're meant to trace the line of these promises through Genesis and then through the other 38 books of the Old Testament uh, until we see the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in Bethlehem, with the birth of Jesus, we see it's not just a, a first-time mum who's old, but we see it's a first-time mum who's a virgin. And we see clearly in the virgin birth that the blessing of God is going to come to his world, not by man's efforts, but by his, his power. Remember uh, the announcement of the angels on the hills outside Bethlehem. What did they say? I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As the angel, angels announce the birth of this miraculous child, this promised child, they expect that it will bring joy to the world, joyous laughter. And he does that for the shepherds, doesn't he? Those humble shepherds who visit, uh, they visit uh, the manger. And as they leave, they leave praising and giving glory to God and spreading the good news that a Savior's been born. And just as the circumstances of the birth of Isaac leave no place for Abraham to pat himself on the back, so to the virgin birth. The virgin birth tells us that humanity desperately needs a Savior, but that no man is able to provide that Savior. So the child of promise brings joyous laughter, but the joyous laughter isn't the only kind of laughter in chapter 21. Because this child of promise also faces mocking laughter. Let's get back to Genesis 21 uh, and look at verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Weaning back in Abraham's day probably happened a little bit later. I think the general advice is about six months today. In Abraham's day, it was probably uh, around about three years. So this is kind of the infant Isaac. There's a celebratory party for him. Uh, but not everyone is celebrating. To verse 9. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. The literal translation is laughing. Ishmael is Isaacing, that's a literal, literal translation. He, he's laughing at the promised child. And Sarah's pretty unhappy about it, isn't he? Isn't she? You can see that she has a word with Abraham. 
verse 10. And she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? This child's party and one kid's laughing at another and suddenly Sarah's talking about inheritance and disinheriting someone. It seems a bit strong. And at first we may think Sarah's just be mean. Abraham certainly, he's cut up about it. He doesn't want to send his son away. But as we uh, look at this scene here, uh, I think as we read God's word, we see that Sarah isn't going over the top. You may be tempted this is just a, a kind of jealous mother. We've all seen it at a child's party, haven't we? Two kids are falling out, one hits the other, and, and a mum loses it and comes in and starts shouting. We may think that's Sarah here. But from what God says, we know it's not, because verse 12, God said to, to him, this is to Abraham, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It's as though God agrees with Sarah. This child will not receive the inheritance. God has promised Abraham descendants more than the sand of the sea, more than the stars of the sky. And all of those descendants are going to be counted through Isaac and not through Ishmael. Whatever was going on in the, the mind of Ishmael when he laughed at Isaac, we're meant to see in this episode something more than just two children falling out. Because this response of Ishmael to Isaac is really significant. Remember who Ishmael is. Ishmael is the, the child of Abraham's effort. Ishmael is the result of, of Plan Hagar. Ishmael is man's attempt to get God's blessing. As we listen to the mocking laughter of Ishmael, I think we're meant to hear in it the mocking laughter of the human race who finds the gracious blessings of God an offense, an offense to its pride. By the time the Lord Jesus arrives, many years after Isaac, the, the kind of mocking laughter of Ishmael has been amplified many, many times. When Jesus is born, it's not all joyous laughter, is it? Yes, the shepherds celebrated with joy. Joseph and Mary celebrated with joy. But there were others who didn't. The most obvious one is King Herod. King Herod was not celebrating with joyous laughter at the birth of another king. And as Jesus grew, it became clear and obvious that he was the promised one sent by God. And he called people to come to him. He said, come to me so that you can have life. He says, if you want God's blessings, you must receive me. If you want real life, you will only find that in me. If you want to be part of God's family, you must come through me. And he also gave a, a, a picture of what that blessing looked like. As we look at Jesus' life, we see what, what the blessed life looks like. As he, as he goes around healing, healing the sick, casting out evil, raising the dead, providing abundant food, forgiving sinners. What's the response to the Lord Jesus? Well, at first it was mixed, wasn't it? 
as the gospel gospels, uh, as you work through the gospels, the general response is one of rejection, one of mocking, one of laughter. Jesus' message left no room for self-righteousness, no room for back-patting. Jesus didn't have good people and bad people. Jesus declared that all people were sinners and needed to be saved. And that he was the only one who could save. And quickly the mocking laughter turned to violence and the Lord Jesus was hung on a cross. And there at the cross, people mocked and laughed and jeered. And yet, even as the promised child is mocked and laughed and jeered, the great promises of, of God are kept, aren't they? Because it's through the cross and resurrection that the promises of God come true. As Jesus dies for the sins of the world, as he dies for sinners like you and me, and as he rises again to rule that we may receive God's blessing. So we hear Ishmael's mocking laughter, and that's amplified when we come to the Lord Jesus, the promised child. But the mocking laughter, it still goes on. It continues. If you have a Bible, just turn to Galatians and chapter 4. Galatians is a letter written to the church by the Apostle Paul. And in the church in Galatia, there's a problem there's a group of people who are teaching that you come to know God's blessings. You come to find a place in God's family by your own efforts, by what you do. We could call these group of people uh, law people. And the Apostle Paul is, is opposed to these people because these people are opposed to God's gracious promises. Promises that don't come about by our efforts, but come about because of God's grace. And this is what he says to them, chapter 3, verse 18. He says, for if the if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends upon the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. To these law people, the gospel of Jesus and the message of God's grace is just deeply offensive. Because it leaves no room for human effort. It leaves no room for self-righteousness. And these law people, they hated Paul. They hated his gospel and they're giving the genuine believers a hard time. And then look at chapter 4, verse 28, what Paul goes on to write. He says, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. And then he says, It is the same now. In this episode here in Genesis 21, where we see Ishmael mocking Isaac, it's like a preview of the persecution and the mocking of the cross. And it's a preview of the mocking that all those who belong to Jesus will face. All those who embrace the message of the cross and God's grace will face mocking because mocking offends, because grace offends human pride. At the start, uh, we thought about that unlikely scenario, didn't we, of a cure for coronavirus uh, and us all sitting around eating turkey on Christmas Day. We thought of how that would be celebrated as a great achievement of humanity. And yet in the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, God has accomplished something infinitely greater. Life 
in place of death, blessings in place of the curse, rescue for sinners for eternity. He's brought us into his forever family. Is the cross celebrated by the world? Are our newspapers full of the good news about Jesus? No. Because the cross offends human pride. If we are to celebrate the promised child, we must kneel humbly as sinners who need a savior and worship him. That's mocking laughter. Let's uh, think quickly about some applications for us this morning. What does all this mean for us? Three questions to help us think through some application. The first question is, what, are, what is our response to the promised one? What's our response to the promised one? When you hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of salvations for sins, the message of uh, resurrection life and a place in God's family for those who don't deserve it, what's your, what's your response? Is your response one of joyous laughter? Do you take great delight in the good news about, about the Lord Jesus? Or is your response like email, Ishmael, one of... Uh, mocking laughter. There are many, aren't there, in the world who, who mock the, the, the truth about Jesus. They think it's a big joke. But there are also many who their mocking isn't so obvious. They simply politely turn away. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. I don't, I don't need a savior. Thank you very much. I can, I can find the blessed life for myself. What's your response to the promised one this morning? Second question is, are we prepared to face mocking laughter? By we, I mean those who stand with Jesus, those who uh, revel in the cross. Are we prepared to face mocking laughter? Because it's clear from what Paul tells the Galatians, if we stand with the Lord Jesus, if the cross is our glory, we will face mocking laughter. If you try to share with someone about Jesus and, and how they need him, you will be offensive to some people. They won't like you. Are we, are we prepared for that? And the third question, uh, as we respond in our application here, how should we respond to this mocking laughter? As we live as those who belong to Jesus in this world, and as we at times face sneers and laughs, how, how should we respond? We haven't looked much at the rest of chapter 21. Uh, we're going to whiz through it now. But do you see how God responded to Ishmael? Ishmael has just mocked the promised child, the one who is the sign of God's unfolding promises. Ishmael's mocked him. And how does the Lord respond? Well, Ishmael's sent away. And in verse 14, Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael away with a skin of water. He gives them, gives them to Hagar. She sets off and they head out into the desert. But it's not long before the water's gone and before Ishmael's life is ebbing away. Hagar's obviously upset. She puts the boy away off so she cannot see and sits down to cry. And God again hears Hagar's cry. He comes to her. The angel of the Lord asks her what's wrong. 
and she explains. And then God provides water from a well. He opens Hagar's eyes so that she can see the well and the water. And the boy lives, and he goes off, and he eventually becomes a great nation, as God said he would. The promise to be a great nation isn't the grand and gracious promises that God is uh, bringing to Abraham, but it's his uh, kindness nonetheless. And as we see how God responds to those who mock his promise one, we see uh, how we should respond. It's amazing, isn't it? Even at the cross, when Jesus faces mocking and jeers, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the fullness of time, God was going to make it possible, not just for Abraham to be blessed, but for all the nations of the earth to be blessed. I presume that includes the nation that Ishmael became. People could find their way back into God's promises by turning to his promised child. And so we see as uh, we look at how God treats Ishmael, how we should respond to those who mock us. We should respond with kindness. We should continue to hold out the good news that Jesus Christ is able to save. Good and joyful news. And as we do that, in the mercy of God, those who have mocking laughter may come to find that in time they turn to Jesus and have joyous laughter. They come to understand who he is and turn to him. So applications, what's our response to the promised one? Are we mocking laughter, rejecting him? Or does the gospel give us great delight? Are we prepared as those who belong to Jesus in this world to face mocking and persecution? And how should we respond when we face such mocking? We should respond with kindness and continue to hold out the good news about Jesus that others may find blessing in him. Let me pray and then we're going to have our final song. Dear Father God, we thank you for your great grace towards us. We're thankful that the message about Jesus Christ has gone out loud and clear through all the world. We thank you that in many parts of the world, people are laboring to continue to sound out the good news about Jesus. Dear Father, we pray for ourselves that we would be those who find great delight and joy in the good news. As we think about Jesus, our hearts would be comforted and filled with joy. We pray, Father, that as we live in this world as your children, you would help us to be ready and prepared to face those who are hostile to you. Help us remember that your grace may provoke offense. Help us not to be surprised by that. And Lord, as we live in this world and share the good news, we pray that you would help us to continue to respond in kindness. Not to allow the mocking to silence our lips not to allow it to harden our hearts, but just simply continue to tell the good news that Jesus saves.
Dear Father, we thank you for your word to us again today. We pray that you continue to bless us in Jesus' name.